Hi, my name is Tommaso, your student host for the My First Year Story podcast. Here, I'll be sitting down with people who have the answers to your college questions and who can help give me advice as a University of Connecticut student by telling their own first year stories during our conversations. Today, we welcome Mason Holland, UConn's University Student Government President. Originally from New Jersey, he found a new community at UConn. On campus, Mason has played an important role in many different organizations in our campus community. He is involved with the FYE program as a mentor, is the current community service chair for BROS, Brothers Reaching Our Society, and is the current operations director of COVID Classroom. Now as president of USG, he oversees the executive branch and leads the governing board, where they have important discussions about issues the student body is currently facing and what they can do to help. The main focus of Mason's presidency has been diversity, inclusion, and representation, and wants the USG to be transparent and work closely with other student organizations. Away from his duties as president, Mason loves poetry, songwriting, basketball, and hiking. Mason, welcome. We're so glad to have you here and talk to us about your experiences at UConn. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Give us your name, pronouns, major, hometown, and favorite restaurant around campus. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me. It's, uh, of course. it's definitely a, a privilege to be here. Um, so what is it? Name? Name, pronouns, okay. major, okay. hometown, okay. favorite restaurant around campus. Okay. So uh, my name is Mason Holland, pronouns he, him, his. I'm a junior political science major. Um, and uh, what is it? Just restaurant now? Where you're from? Where I'm from. So Hackensack, New Jersey, yeah. hometown. And favorite place around campus? Uh, there's a couple. There's honestly a couple. Probably Ejoy, honestly. Like, if I have the money to go to Ejoy, yeah. If I have the money to go to Ejoy, Ejoy is a a great option. Yeah, a treat. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, let's dive right in. So, first, just going to talk to you about growing up and your UConn experience. Why did you choose to come to UConn and major in poli-sci? Uh, so, first of all, it's actually a funny story for both of those. Uh, first, I was, uh, not a poli-sci major. I was actually a business major. Um, and I came to UConn particularly, well, for a couple of reasons. I came because I wanted to leave Jersey. Like I, I, Rutgers is a great school. Rutgers is, a lot of people go there now, but nobody wanted to go to Rutgers. Right. It's kind of like being from Connecticut. Nobody wants to go to exactly. UConn. Um, so I, I went to UConn because I wanted to get out of the state, but also because I wanted to go to a big campus. Uh, and I wanted to be around a lot of people, but also a lot of resources. You know, UConn is the main flagship public research university in Connecticut. So uh, I wanted to be here for that. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I, I was going to be a business major. My dad is a, uh, he's a sales director at uh, Johnson & Johnson. Um, so I, I really thought like until, until like halfway through my senior year of high school, I was like, yeah, I'm going to gonna be in business. I'm going to be a salesman. Um, and then like halfway through, it just didn't feel right. And I was just like, yeah, I don't, number one, I hate numbers. So there's no point in me bus- being in business. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I'd rather, um, I'd rather delve into like political theory and, uh, you know, the stuff that we do, you know, now in poli-sci, it right. was just more appealing to me. Um, so I made that switch before I got to UConn. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the story of me being a poli-sci major. And originally, you know, UConn was, bet- I was between UConn and Suffolk University in Boston. Uh, and it honestly just came down to money. And like what, what, what it always comes down always to. Always comes down to money. It's like, who's going to give me more money? Um, and I think Suffolk actually came with like more at the deadline, but I remember I went, I came here for orientation and then I was leaving and I was talking to my dad. I was like, y'all want UConn merge? And he was like, there's no point if you're not going to go here. And I'm right. like, dang, you're right. So I thought about it on the car ride home and I was like, yeah, I'll go to, I'm, I'm going to go to UConn. And then you um, yeah, it was, it was, it literally came because my dad didn't want to buy me a hoodie if I wasn't going. So I was like, All right. <laughs> okay, now dad. I got put on the spot. I was like, let me lay everything out. Cause it was like a two, two and a half hour ride home. So I thought about it then and yeah, I decided to go to UConn. Did you get that hoodie? 
I did not get that. <laughs> I actually, actually ended up coming back for a quarter zip freshman year, but I didn't get anything that day. Yeah. No, nah, unfortunately. Well, so you mentioned you're a poli sci major, but mm-hmm. you also didn't mention you have a minor in women's gender and sexuality studies, wigs. Mm-hmm. How does that influence your work as a poli sci major? Um, wigs, I think is, I think a lot of people should take wigs. I think everybody should take a wigs class. Um, you know, cause it just gives you a different lens when you're looking at certain issues. Like when we look at, for instance, um, when we look at police brutality, for instance, right? Um, police brutality, obviously you're more likely to be a victim of it if you're, um, if you're a black man, but what about being a black woman? What about being a black trans woman? What about being a non-binary black person? Um, and wigs kind of offer me that lens. And I got that look in high school when I was looking at issues that affected people that were not myself and my group. Cause I went to an all boys school mm-hmm. in Jersey, uh, St. Peter's prep. And I remember just in that, when I was there, just thinking about wigs and just thinking about feminism, it didn't click. And then at some point that year when I was taking a, it was actually a Christian ethics class where we were talking about feminism, it clicked. And I just began to see how so many things overlap and so many things are connected. Um, so taking wigs is honestly, it was one of the best decisions I've made at UConn. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, served to give me a different look on things because, you know, it's not, my identity is not centered every place I go and not every issue is surrounding, you know, me being who I am. Um, so it's just important to have that, that insight, but also important to, you know, to, to acknowledge that issues affect people in different ways. Like I could be affected one way and somebody else could be affected another way. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. I think a wigs course Everyone should take one. I took one last year, yeah. Professor Sherry Zane. She's, oh, I love she's her. amazing. She's so great. <laughs> but it's true. No one's identity is one thing. Everything's mm-hmm. intersectional, and you're right. It gives you that lens to focus not on yourself, but the rest of your community, especially yeah, our Yukon community. 100%. And speaking of community, as a member of Scholars House, how did that impact your first year as a student? I'll be completely transparent. Um, making that switch to come here was, was super hard. And I think if I didn't have Scholars House, I probably wouldn't be a student here anymore. Because freshman year was just really tough acclimating, really tough adjusting. Um, and I was really like anchored by being in Scottish House. I was anchored by, you know, people like Paul Singleton uh, and Mike Reed, but also just my, my, my peers and my brothers, because it was, it's different when you're coming from, uh, a place where everybody understands you to a place where it feels like nobody understands you. And yeah. when you're surrounded by people who can not only see your experience, but empathize with it because they go through a similar sort of experience, it makes things so much easier. And I just felt like, you know, in Scholars, it was a, it was a place I belonged. And it was also a place that I felt understood. I didn't have to explain myself. And I it takes that to. guesswork away. A hundred percent. From finding your people on campus. Absolutely. Cause you know, you're not, you're not struggling to, to, to hop over those, those, um, those blurred lines. Those are already, clear cut and you already see who people are and what people go through and you could also understand it. Right. Um, and all that mental yeah. energy doing that can now be directed into your studies and everywhere yeah. else on campus. A hundred percent. And it, it, um, even, even little stuff like we would have, I remember to this day before COVID, we would have, um, literally like three, four hour conversations just in the hall. Like somebody would, it would be like two, three of us talking and then one of us comes and gets involved in the conversation and we, take it to a completely different place. And right. it's like little things like those, I don't even think that the sophomores that I had or the juniors I had when I was a freshman really understood the impact of that. Um, and little things like that lets you know that people are there for you, but also, you know, people care about you. When you're a freshman, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, you see sophomores and juniors and they're doing their own thing. But when you see people that are invested in you, it, uh, it makes a difference. And can you sort of elaborate on what these learning communities are all about? No, yeah, absolutely. So um, Scholars House, which stands for Scholastic House in support of African-American researchers and scholars, um, you know, like all the other LCs, it's designed to give you that community walking in. Because uh, when you're a freshman, you don't really know where you, you belong nothing. at all, right? And LC is kind of, 
you know, steer you in that direction, but it also provides for you a community. Like uh, with people who, if not come from your same experience, they're at least, you're, you're tied through something. You're tied through your major. You're tied through your cultural experience. You're tied through your identity in some right. facet. It's that intersectionality um, that you're talking about. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, that's, first of all, I think that's why everybody should join on LC. I think it's, it was one of the best decisions I made and I've made a, I made a couple good decisions. <laughs> here, but it, it was definitely one of the best decisions I made. Um, and, you know, just the, the staff and, uh, everybody that works in the LCs are just so so amazing. Uh, shout out Helena DeBald. Yes. You know, great. Shout out Helena. Shout out shout Cody. Out Helena, All these guys yeah. who are, they're looking out for the students, number one. Absolutely. And listen, if there's a day I don't get an email from Helena about an opportunity, right. not a good day. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. So anybody who's listening to this, you know, join an LC, to, you'll, you won't regret it. For sure. And so as a FYE mentor, as mm-hmm. now USG president, what are some previous leadership experiences that you held and how did those positions prepare you for now, currently, being in NAACP and being in UCO kind of introduced me to what it was like to be a leader on campus and to understand that while you think you're right, you know, people do have things to contribute to the conversation and that everything is a collaborative effort. Like even in USG, a lot of the reason why I think people didn't want to originally join was because they were like, oh, USG is super elitist and USG is very hierarchical. Now, every decision that we make, and I've told people this, every decision we make is a conversation. So you may have somebody like myself or any anybody else in leadership who may have something they have to decide on, but it's a conversation. And that's an important aspect that I think I got from NAACP and UCO, that everybody is going to be affected by the decision. So everybody should have input on the decision. And I also, you know, got to work with people who, again, are just different people from me, both in identity and perspective. And it it really helped mold the approaches I I you know, I use when I talk to different people and everybody takes the same criticism and everybody is, you know, receptive to the same kind of support. So understanding the differences and the variability in terms of people that you deal with, that's what I learned in NAACP and UCO. And I'm grateful that I was able to get that experience even in COVID because it definitely honed and, and shaped the way that I, that I am today. Right. And so those experiences in UCO and the NAACP helped inform the, this current presidency. What was yeah. it like running for USG president? I'll definitely say I didn't get the the authentic experience of like mm. tabling and, and, you know, knocking on doors and talking to people I would see. But it was a really, really, I don't think people understand how long the process was. Like, uh, I remember Ethan and I decided to run in December of 2019 or 20, was it 2019? 20, yeah, 20, no, 2020. We decided December of 2020 <laughs> to run. And, you know, everything from there until we were elected in May was for the campaign. It was like... You know, we we're putting together plans for if we won, we were putting together our platform. We were thinking about who we would want to be with us. We were trying to figure out how to, you know, change the image of USG. So the election process was a it was a myriad of a lot of things. But it was when we actually were running, it was the most fun because it was like all the preparation because that could actually be executed. Right. Whether that was in interviews that we had like this or we had a uh, we had a debate with other candidates, like things like that really, you know, it, it made it kind of fun because we, there was so much planning that went into it. that Yeah, we you were, finally get to show it off. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's not all that behind the door stuff anymore. No, no. And when people could actually see the work that you put in and and, uh, and feel it, it, it means a lot. So it was definitely fun, stressful, but, you know, it's uh, it's great to see that, that all your work actually goes to an end and it's successful. So. Right. And you mentioned Ethan Wurstler, your vice president. How did you end up choosing him to be, to run with as your running mate? <laughs> it's funny because he actually, he kind of chose me. Oh, he, yeah. um, we were, we saw the special election going on and then I think it had passed already. Uh, and I remember one night he called me and he was like, he was like, what do you think about running? And I'm like, 
I, I didn't really, I thought about it for special election, but I didn't think about it for the next year. And I was like, I haven't really thought about it. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about it. And we talked about it and um, we eventually decided to do it. I probably wouldn't have, I, I may have decided to run if he didn't approach me, but he definitely um, streamlined the process. And it was honestly, I would have rather ran with nobody else. He, we complement each other really well, but I also appreciate the individual that he is. Uh, like a lot of the stuff that we do, um, doesn't center his perspective. Um, right. And he's entirely open to that and he's welcoming to that. And he's, you know, he, I mean, he's just open and he's, you know, he understands that um, certain people are not going to be at the helm in certain instances, um, whether that's me or him. And, um, you know, he's, he's just a really, 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 really solid individual. Um, but also um, he's, He's my partner in crime, you know, like he's, yeah. he's, he's somebody that if I, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here without him. So, um, yeah, he's a great guy for sure. Great and guy. I remember when you guys were running, you have a really strong campaign with mm -hmm. your slogan, reimagine, reinvest, rebuild. Mm -hmm. How have you been implementing those three elements in your presidency? So, um, first of all, it's, there were different facets to those as well. Um, re, they, 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 they were composed of a lot of different, um, ideas and initiatives that we had planned out, um, Reimagining was really, I think, in the scope of, um, not I think, I know, it was in the scope of student power mm. um, and understanding. It was something that Ethan said. Um, we're always so focused on bringing truth to power and don't recognize that we have power within ourselves. Um, and reimagining, you know, the, the, the way we can use it. Like we've been advocating for students. We're um, trying to get things to move at a university level. If students can't get to the administration, they go through us, we're very diligent about that. We, we respond to them. We get people involved. We, you know, we, we get organizations involved. Um, so we're reimagining in that aspect, reinvesting in the sense that we have a lot of money just because our budget is super big, but also because we have a lot of rollover uh, from last year. Um, and we're using that the best way that we can. We're being diligent and giving not, not only clubs their funding that they need, but also about what can we use for, for other programs. Like we're thinking about a short-term loan program for undergrads. The graduate students already have it. Um, we're, we're, we're really trying to be intentional about where the money we have goes. Um, and then rebuilding, rebuilding in the sense of relationships, institutions. Um, I don't think it's a surprise about, I don't think it's not a surprise, but um, a secret about, you know, the, uh, about how people have generally felt about USG or. Right. Especially in the last past year and yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Or the way that UCPD and the students' relationships are, administration and student relationships were. Our goal was to, number one, meet people at the middle with that, but also come forth in good faith and say, look, if we're going to rebuild this, we have to be intentional about this. If we're going to better public safety, we got to work with the police and meet them halfway. If we're going to move things for students, we have to be, you know, uh, communicative with administration. If they don't respond, push them to respond. If we, um, if we really want to represent all students, we have to be intentional about, uh, building the bridges that have been burned, but also creating new ones. Like right. we, intentionality is the most important part. And that was the crux of our entire um, program. Like we were not trying to get elected. We were trying to um, enact things that would change UConn forever. Right. Um, and USG is in, this, in that special place where it's an organization that is university-based, but run by the students. Yes. And like you said, you're meeting them in the middle. And I think that's what's the most important part is and what we hope to see as someone in the student body yeah. and our people representing us is that it, they're representing all of us and not just one student group or something like that. No, yeah, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta represent everybody. Got yeah. to. And you talk about being super communicative. Mm -hmm. um, how has, uh, sorry, 
You talk about being super communicative. What are you doing in your presidency to increase transparency between USG and the student body and other student organizations? Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, uh, one thing that we're doing is we're trying to make the financial process easier because a lot of clubs, you know, try to onboard, get funding. Um, so we have work. We actually have a workshop coming up this Friday um, or this not this Friday, this Thursday, um, October 7th, I believe it is. Um, and, you know, we, we're even putting out graphics. Um, we're encouraging clubs to come talk to us. Um, I've tried to make myself as present as I can in the spaces where I am outside of USG to let, you know, students know, like, look, you know, if you're trying to get funding, I can answer any questions you have. And if I don't know them, I could direct you to someone who may have those questions, uh, who may have those answers. Um, additionally, we're really trying to be better about our social media presence. Yeah. Um, we're trying to put all the things that are, you know, uh, are noteworthy on um, social media so that students know about them. Um, and we're also, you know, really trying to be intentional about um, not only representing students, but also pushing student groups to represent themselves. Like um, there's been administration, there's been conversations between groups and admin that have stalled um, in, in just certain spaces. Um, and we were trying, we've been trying to be intentional about coming in and not taking over those spaces, but providing a platform right. that orgs can talk to administration. To help push that conversation along. Absolutely. Cause you know, transparency with us is also transparency with, with administration. Um, and generally, um, you know, we're not trying to hide behind any closed doors. We're trying to be open about what we can do and what we can't do. Um, we're not pretending to know everything cause right. we don't know everything. Um, and also at the same time, giving credence to the fact that um, while we try to be representative of everybody, um, sometimes we're not. And if we aren't, bringing people who are so that they can speak to certain issues. So myself as um, uh, a black and Latino man, I can never understand what an Asian American student goes through, or an Asian student in general goes through. Um, and pushing, you know, groups like that to be able to speak for themselves with our support is important. So, you know, just being better about how how open we are about the things that we're doing, uh, but also getting students in the ability where getting students in the position where they can advocate for themselves and alongside us is important. Right. And coming from these social change groups to now in a more government position, how do your intersecting identities influence your work as president? Uh, one thing I th do think it has done is it's shaped the idea of USG. USG's, I think, kind of been this, um, it's been part and parcel with the ivory tower. Um, but, you know, when people see people like myself or Michael Christie or Josie Ann Hamilton um, in USG, they're like, well, maybe it's not all just, you know, for people who want to be politicians or right. policy majors. Maybe it's a place where you can actually advocate for yourself. Um, and I think, you know, our presence and our identity has pushed people to do that, but also just the way we've addressed things um, inside the institution uh, is important. Um, you know, we've made structural changes. We um, are diligent if there's, you know, any problems between either people or branches. We're, we're trying to get to the heart of that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just we're really trying to change the culture. That rebuild element the of rebuild your campaign. Element. Absolutely. Because there's so much we could take from advocacy groups like UCO and Power Up. Um, and I think the most important aspect is that, you know, we're all working together as a team. If we succeed, it's because we succeed as a team. If we fail, it's because we fail as a team. Yeah. Um, and having that type of, you know, that, that, that mindset of unity, whereas, you know, before I kind of feel like people were isolated in their own positions, uh, it makes people feel like, you know, we're all on the same side and that we're all striving for the same goal. And I think when people feel like that, you're more inclined to not only work harder or push people to work harder, um, but also to, um, you know, to get, to, to be intentional about your work. Right, and if the student body is lucky to see that a leader, like a leader pushing for this unity, for this teamwork, because I think it's showing other student orgs and other students on campus just to not isolate themselves because of their differences, but come together and 
work with work with each other no yeah absolutely and you know you're gonna you're gonna disagree obviously yeah yeah, and i would never tell people you know don't expect um no opposition or don't expect um you know people to not disagree because it's gonna happen but it's important that you know we give credence to that because that's what makes us you know um that's what makes america america but at the same time you know it's it's what makes you know it's what makes things better is when we're open and you know we're having those those conversations yeah, and before we sat down um, to talk, I was asking about your weekly schedule. Yeah. So, what does an average day for a USG president look like? Uh, it, it honestly changes every day, <laughs> um, but typically I'll get up around um, seven, eight, depending on my schedule. I'll either go to the gym or I'll just get breakfast and go to class. Uh, and then I have class, and then um, you know I'll be doing a host of things. I'll be in office hours and meetings, or I'll be doing homework, or um, I'll, I'll just be advocating and doing and doing what I do in just different spaces. Um, and usually my days end around eight, nine, uh, if I'm lucky, 10, if I'm not 12, if I'm, if I'm really not lucky. Uh, and then from there it's homework and then just preparing for the next day. Um, (sighs) take a deep breath. Oh my God. It is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. The students, I guess, don't realize this, that USG is a full job on top of. No. Yeah. I mean, the things that I hope people understand the things that you see like past flood deadlines, uh, being extended or declaring racism, a public health crisis. It's not like we just do it for like two hours a day. This is, we work overtime and yeah. we, we oftentimes call each other at night and you know, it's, that's, that's how much, I hope that it's a microcosm of what we do, but I think, you know, it shows how much we care and how much we're invested. Into Absolutely. Work um, but yeah, my days are super long, eight to eight to like 10 and that's not including homework. So <laughs> yeah, that's so all it is. Enough about the president. That's not the president. Enough about the present. Excuse me. Let's talk about the future. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself for the rest of your junior and senior year? Uh, junior year, um, cons- first of all, uh, 4.0 GPA. Gotta, okay. Gotta get that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you gotta drop that. <laughs> gotta. Um, but also um, doing what I set out to do in the first place in USG, um, accomplishing a lot of the goals that I had. Um, I don't see anything getting in the way of that. Um, but I also... Um, want to grow a lot this year, um, whether that's in the space of, you know, as a, as an academic or as an advocate or as a, not an advocacy, as an organizer or as a person. Um, and then senior year, I really, I really don't know. I have no idea. I'm trying to stay in the present as much as possible, okay. trying to, you know, um, the here and now trying to, trying yeah. to be really involved in that. But, um, but yeah, just, just trying to do as much as I can to make you know, the university a better place for people like us who are here now and people who are going to come after. Um, that's the goal. That's what I intend to do. And so you have a super clear vision for what you want UConn's representation and diversity to look like now. What are your hopes for the future? Well, my hopes for the future is that, you know, it, it continues and that um, never again do people feel like on the basis of their identity they can't join an org or they're going to be blackballed for doing so. Um, it, UConn is and should be a welcoming place for everybody. Um, and we're really trying to not just say that we're about that news. We're really trying to to, to emphasize that and, and speak to that. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I don't want that to just be a theme of my presidency. I want that to be a theme of everybody's presidency and not to just say it, but to to be about it. Um, because, you know, people are impacted by being included or not included in certain spaces or being valued or not valued in certain spaces. Um, and if we really want to be intentional about the work we do and change things, um, you need diversity, both, you know, in identity and in thought. And you need to welcome it in whatever form it comes. Yeah. And not fight it. Absolutely. So moving on to some of our closing questions, thinking more big picture, what do you think this the purpose of colleges. I mean, growing up, you always hear, you got to get your degree. You got to go yeah, to school. Yeah. You got to <laughs> enroll in a college. What's the purpose of it? 
I think the purpose is really to grow. Um, and I talk to a lot of my friends who are not in college right now about college in that sense. And I think, you know, we think about a lot of different things. We think about degrees. We think about getting a job. But overall, you just want to grow because you're not going to leave college the same person that you came in as. Um, and whether that's in terms of, again, as a student or as a person or as a team leader or as a leader in general, you really just want to grow in whatever form that looks like. Um, and, you know, if you could leave college and say that your perspective has changed on something or you've grown more accepting of other things, then that's all that really matters. Um, and colleges, we're lucky to be afforded an opportunity to really go to class and, and aim to get a degree, but also at the same time figure out who we are as people. Because so many people don't get that opportunity. Um, so growth, I would say, is the, is the main thing. Yeah. And um, we talk a lot about community on this podcast. I know, especially last year, just the drastic difference of high school. And then going to your freshman year of college where, I mean, there was only 5,000 kids on campus, but I was just yeah. exper- open to so many different types of experience that you, you're right. You can't come out of college and say you're the same person. Yeah. Now, our signature question we ask all our guests is mm-hmm. we're all the first at something, whether you're the first person in your family to go to school, something else entirely. What do you feel like you've been the first at and how has that impacted your life experience, your story? Ooh, first of my family or first first, first for anything? One of your firsts. Uh, well, I could say that I'm the first uh, Muslim president that UConn's had. I may be the first black man that UConn's had as president. Um, but those two particular ones I take pride in, especially as a, as a Muslim student. Um, but um, besides that, um, I don't. No, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think now. I definitely. Um, I was the first in my family to go to school out of state, um, but I also think, um, and I'll kind of keep the family focus. I think I've. Um, I think I'm a doer. Comes from my mom, um, but uh, I've tried to be the first to push the needle on things that other people either can't or are unwilling to do um because i think we talk about a lot of a lot of things that need change a lot of things need change love talking yeah and a lot of people talk about these things but not everybody you know has the ability to devote their time and energy to it and and some people just can't and some people don't want to so i think being the first to address things in the way that i have um like again being intentional about institutional changes that are going to be around for longer than than we're here or professors are here um I've been one of the first. I won't say I'm the first, but I'm one of the first right. to, to push that needle. And that's um, a proud legacy to have, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, you know, to say that, you know, it's not um, it's not about me. It's not about really any of us individually. It's about what we do together, how we put our heads together, uh, and how we, you know, advocate for each other. Because um, there's this quote, um, there's this quote that I try to live by that's, um, be the person you needed when you were younger. Um, and a lot of people, I think, looking back, myself included, you know, we wish we had people um, that did the things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And as a freshman, I couldn't, I wasn't in a position to advocate the way that I am now. And I know there's, even the freshmen I talk to, certain freshmen have things they want to do. They may not be, they may not be in the position to, to address them. Um, I want to, I want to be that person because that's the person I wish I had when I was, when I was younger, when I was a freshman, when I, you know, wanted to change the world and I didn't really know where to start. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that, that's important. That kind of leads into my next question, but I think you already answered it. It's like one piece of advice you would give about my college oh. experience, but I think that's, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, unless you have something else, some I, other wise words. <laughs> um, the other piece of advice I could give is, um, to you and everybody else who's watching is never, never stop asking questions. Um, I think a lot of people take the world for what it is and take 
circumstances and situations for what they are, uh, we really got to get to the heart of why things exist. Because um, sometimes they have validity and sometimes they don't, but you'll never know unless you ask a question. And I know teachers have said, you know, there are no stupid questions, and that's true, because they're going to get you closer to, um, again, the core of what's going on and, and, and the truth that lies beneath. So never stop asking questions. No question is a dumb question. Um, and at least you'll know more than you did before you asked it. Right. So. So speaking of asking questions, yeah. now's the time in the podcast where we kind of switch it up. Mm -hmm. Now you get to ask me a question. Okay, okay. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, okay, so uh, what do you like the best about being the host of this podcast? I'm going to say my favorite thing is being able to talk to all these people. Mm -hmm. I, I was a first year last year. Mm -hmm. I totally owe my comfort level and my sense of community to this podcast, being able to talk to professors, alum, other first-year students, uh -huh. second, third, fourth-year students, president of USG, <laughs> um, president, former president Tomcat. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best part is where else would I have been able to hear all these different points of view? And I think that's one of those things that you were talking about today mm -hmm. is that the more points of view you hear, the more voices that fill your space, the more well-rounded you are. Absolutely. And that's, and I think that's the biggest change that's causing me is being able to hear those perspectives. So yeah, that's my favorite thing. That's beautiful. <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much for joining us today, Mason. It was wonderful talking to you. And as always, like we say on the podcast, roll skis. Roll skis. <laughs> Thanks for having me. The My First Year Story podcast is a production of the University of Connecticut's undergraduate student body in collaboration with the Office of First Year Programs, Learning Communities, the Academic Achievement Center, and the Learning Community Innovation Zone. Our co-producers are Casey Jaycox and Hannah Peterson. Our staff advisors are Cody Ryan and Helena DeBald. For more information on our podcast, to meet our entire staff, and to listen to more episodes, visit fyp.uconn.edu backslash mfys. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at UConnFYP.